Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello? So Leah Luke is calling you from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, you're calling in to discuss about problem gambling. I uh, am. Yeah. And especially going into the holiday season, um, what are some of the warning signs that you, you tend to find in a problem gambler? When a person is having a difficulty with their gambling activity, there are a few things or a few patterns of behavior they'll engage in that can be an indicator that they transition from recreational play to um, activity that may be problematic. So some of the things that we have to look at quite simply, are you winning more money than, excuse me, are you losing more money than you're winning? You want to ask yourself, are you feeling any remorse after gambling? Um, Does your gambling interfere in your real life? Do you find yourself rearranging engagements or things that you have? to participate in to allow yourself to gamble more? Um, are you finding yourself trying to increase your, your financial gain in, uh, in, in support of the responsibilities you have in life with gambling? Who would you say is uh, most at risk? Everyone's at risk. Um, everyone's at risk because gambling is not a respecter of persons. Um, there is a misconception that gambling disorder or having a problem with gambling is indicative or exemplary of a lack of self-control. In all actuality, gambling disorder should be perceived as serious as any other behavioral or addictive disorder. When you look at individuals that find themselves, oftentimes it can be um, a result from traumatic experiences. What we're looking at here lately, what we're paying attention to as the landscape of gambling is shifting, is we're looking at individuals that find themselves engaged in activity more. So when I say the landscape is shifting, we've got the introduction of online gambling and online sports betting. So when you look at that, it kind of has a reassessing what our target populations are because typically we're only looking at individuals of the age of 21 and older. And in times past, statistics may have us believe, what statistics led us to understand that the average gambler might be between the ages of 39 and 45 years of age. But as gambling changes and its access is changing, the individuals that engage in gambling is changing. So one population that we're totally dismissive of and that we're not paying enough attention to when it comes to gambling is youth and young adult gambling. And when I say youth, I mean as young as middle and high school age youth and most most predominantly in college-age students. Most individuals, when they enter into treatment, what our clinicians find out through the treatment sessions is they often disclose and indicate they've been gambling since they were a child. They've been gambling for youth. The problem is that when you're a child gambling, it is merely a game. I, who, who's going to win the basketball game tonight? I bet I make this next shot when we play this game. Um, I, bet I, I get an A on my test. It's really simple. Nothing to lose. No problems at all. But what happens is as that behavior becomes more normalized, for lack of a better way to put it, and as they get older, that behavior now transitions to a behavior that has um, invested state because now you have something of value that you can then barter for when, when gambling and becomes an issue. Leah Lucas, Michigan Department yeah. of Health and Human Services. Now, if anyone out there has a loved one or suspect a loved one of having a gambling problem, 
What can they do to get that person some help? We have a toll-free 800 helpline. It is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you can call anytime. That's 800-270-7117. Our helpline counselors are master-level clinicians, some of which, once you um, reach the helpline, if you decide that you need further help with the clinician, a lot of our, some of our clinicians, should I say, um, are recovering gamblers themselves. So there's, there's no judgment, full anonymity, and you'll have someone that's not only willing to help, but in some instances, understand exactly where you are. Uh, we're working right now to make that available for text and chat services as well. Well, Aaliyah, thank you for all that vital information that we can all use. I think we all probably know somebody that may have a gambling problem, and this Absolutely. definitely, this definitely, definitely, definitely helps. Now, here's Frankie Darcel and Talk of the Town. Welcome to this edition of Talk of the Town with Frankie Darcel, a public service of iHeartMedia Detroit. We welcome your questions and comments. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and IG pages. Now here's your host, Frankie Darcel. So welcome again to this edition of Sunday Morning uh, Talk of the Town. My name is Frankie Darcel. Let me just tell you how long I've been waiting to get this gentleman on the show. I am so glad to have him as a part of my conversation, which is so important right now. Uh, Andre Johnson is the president and CEO of the Detroit Recovery Project. And let me just tell you that when you get to the White House to receive awards and I can get you on the show, I've had three of the last four presidents on. And finally got this guy on. He's been to the White House. <laughs> Andre, <laughs> welcome to Sunday Talk of the Town. Finally, reconnect. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Frankie Darcel, for, for just being the leader in the radio um, industry like you have been. I've always admired listening to your stories. Um, so just thank you. And I'm honored to be on your show. Absolutely. And of course, always committed to Detroit. And I'm glad to have you talk about um, the Detroit Recovery Project. For people who are listening, first of all, talk about the Detroit Recovery Project and what you do. Sure. Um, so I'm the President and Chief Executive Officer of Detroit Recovery Project, which is a nonprofit organization that really provides three essential uh, areas of services. One is um, behavioral health services, which is comprised of supporting and treating individuals that have substance use disorders and individuals that have mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, we have a physical health component um, where we have a um, nurse practitioner and a primary care physician. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. our, our organization is really a one-stop shop to treat the whole person. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get started and why? Well, that's a good question, Frankie. Thank you very much. Um, I do that every now and then, you know. <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect nothing less. Um, but let me just tell you, first of all, I'm a person in long-term recovery from alcohol and drugs. And what that means is I haven't used drugs and alcohol in over 33 years. Mm -hmm. um, and because of recovery, I've been able to, uh, what some would say, uh, lift myself by the bootstraps and be able to go to college. And, you know, I graduated from Morehouse College and I acquired a degree in psychology. And I'm also um, currently a doctoral student pursuing a PhD in clinical psychology. Wow. And um, and I've been very, very successful in terms of being able to build meaningful relationships and help 
move the needle to help people who are struggling in addiction to uh, find recovery and sustain recovery, yeah. which was a huge boy in our area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to come back to that, but let me just say my daughter uh, went to school just across the way, got an undergraduate degree from Spelman College in psychology, and her oh. master's in medical uh, mental health from Boston University. So, uh, yes, I'm very familiar with the programs at both Morehouse and Spelman College. I put every penny into that. Yeah, so I'm very familiar with the programs at Morehouse College and Spelman College, yes. So so you're a spell mom. Yeah, I'm a spell mom, honey. That's right. That's right. That's right. Right. Congratulations. I I mean, it sounds like your daughter is, I know she's an amazing young lady, and the fruit don't fall far from the tree. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I got to tell you um, as well, Andre, you know, watching her grow, you know, is especially in mental health, watching her grow. um, I've learned so much about mental health. Um, And she, with her master's degree program, doing mental health and the medical mental health component of what we're dealing with today and especially after COVID. Let's go back um, just a little bit. Uh, You you use the term substance abuse disorder because we want to use the proper terms now um, because terms have changed in terms of recovery. Can you talk about some terms we used to use and those terms we now use? And, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's Thank you for that clarification. I think, number one, the terminology right now is referred to as substance use disorder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of stigmatization that correlates with language. Mm-hmm. Um, the word addict, we don't really use that in a professional realm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the word mentally retarded, we don't really use that in our field. We mm-hmm. refer to individuals who have a mental health disorder or a substance use disorder. Yeah. And and then obviously there's uh, components that consist of that. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about your daughter, I can only imagine she's getting a fruitful experience working in, I'm familiar with that area in Boston mm-hmm. and that, that health clinic and the inpatient and the psychiatric unit. Yeah. Um, and you, get, you begin to interact with more so people who have more severe um, catatonic, catatonic um, depression, uh, social anxiety, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. And so a lot of just everyday people have had mental health challenges. If you've experienced depression, there's different la- layers or levels of depression from moderate to severe. Mm-hmm. And when a person is in the severe realm, that's the person who may be contemplating suicide. Wow. Um so I think it's important that we have, and I'm happy to hear again, you talk about your daughter because this is not the most attractive field to work in. This is the pink, you know, the field we work in is like the pink elephant in the living room. Mm. When people don't want to talk about, oh, my father is an alcoholic and he's been drinking himself to an oblivion most of my life. Wow. Or my mother is a uh, drug addict uh, or a substance use disorder, been suffering from prescription pills. All of my life, mm-hmm. and so when, and then when you include another pandemic like COVID nineteen, which you mentioned earlier, now we got a now we got people, and we're dealing in the midst of a pandemic and an epidemic simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, this is a tough time. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, Frankie, you know, in Detroit, you've seen 
you've been around here a long time, and I'm sure you know how we had the 80s, the crack, yeah. cocaine epidemic, just just destructive communities uh, and residential uh, neighborhoods uh, and how it impacts the safety of our communities. Yeah. Um, and then how it impacts in the incarceration of our community. Yeah. And then it impacts other physical health challenges and attributes to the health disparities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, and so it's a lot of work that's needed in our field. Yeah. But the most important thing is finding um, psychologists and social workers and psychiatrists to work and help people function and be productive members in society. Yeah. So let let me let me start here. You mentioned there are a lot of people that don't want to admit my first of all individuals don't want to admit that are functioning alcoholics. Is that proper? That are going to work Absolutely. every day and abusing alcohol to admit it to get to a point where they are um and decide I need help. Right? Yeah. Um yeah. And what does a loved one or family person do? Because a lot of people will say, you know, you need to stop drinking. You know, you need to stop doing that. The person knows that. But how do you yeah. support an individual that is a functioning, a, a person who abuses whatever it might be, pills, alcohol, but they're functioning every day? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How does a family member or loved one, how can they be supported? Well, that's... That's the million-dollar question. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, it's a big – I mean, the person has to have some level of willingness. Mm-hmm. And the most you can do is to continue to support, love, and encourage that person to seek out professional help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that, that just has to be the daily conversation. Yeah. You know, I know you think you might not have an alcoholic problem because you're functional, but the truth is – Here's a survey you can ask. You can there's surveys out there where you can ask a person five questions, and if they answer yes to one of them, um, like you know, have you ever been arrested because of drinking or driving, or have you ever missed work, or has it ever affected your work day? If they answer yes to one of them, nine times out of ten, that person is an alcoholic. Wow, that's interesting that, person, that you say five questions. You answer yes to one, chances are you have a problem. Correct. And so denial and the willingness and the motivation to seek out treatment is often harder and difficult for people who are, quote, unquote, successful or functional because sometimes it takes people to hit a certain bottom Mm -hmm. to be motivated. Mm -hmm. And most of the times the bottom involves the court system. It involves, um, you know, possibly losing a significant other, a spouse or the damage and the impact it has on relationships related to your children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. Is it possible a person who is an alcoholic, because we talk about the biophysical um, aspect of, you know, the, the maybe the grandfather was an alcoholic or grandmother, or and then the father was an alcoholic. Some of that is chemically 
could could make you more prone than not as a person physically or in your DNA uh, to be an alcoholic. However, a person who from stress, not managing the stress well, becomes an alcoholic or dependent on alcohol and they're in a family environment, um, is it likely that the children who are there, because this is a a new habit, it's not something that has been, you know, several people in the family, but because this person drinks a lot, that now the children who watch this alcohol abuse could become uh, addicted to alcohol or some kind of substance? Absolutely. I mean, if a child is in a house where alcohol is being abused versus a child next door is in the house where alcohol is not being abused, that child is going to be the, the child that's been exposed to alcohol uses as a coping and mechanism um, are going to be more prone to use alcohol than the child who grew up in a house without alcohol. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there are other, I mean, you're absolutely right. There are biological factors that we always examine in terms of the generational alcoholism that, that's often prevalent in a lot of communities. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Uh, and, but there's also environmental factors, there's stress factors on how to appropriately, uh, and, and I don't even want to say appropriately, I would just say how to deal and cope with stress. Yeah. Listen, let's talk about, you know, you brought up the crack epidemic, that, you know, we think about drugs and the like, and people who are addicted to some level of substance, be it medication or some street-level drug. The fentanyl, has overwhelmed America, totally overwhelmed America. Are you seeing a large number of people who are trying to kick that habit? Uh, Is that a tough question? Is that a hard one? No, it's not hard. Not really. It's like I'm seeing more people die. The fentanyl is very available in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, right right now, during this midst of this pandemic, people have resources. Um, our treatment program numbers have been down because people are not seeking our services. And, you know, when people have money to support their addiction, they're less likely to go try to seek out treatment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, like the people we serve are typically the downtrodden. These are the people who are you know, looked at as, you know, they don't have nothing. They coming in here out of jail. They coming in here out of a shelter. They coming in off the streets. Mm-hmm. And right now with the, all the, like, the economy is, is, is considered okay in America. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so a lot of major inner cities have access to money. And when you have money, it's, it's a more, uh, it's a plethora of drugs and, and alcohol opportunity to utilize. Wow, that's an interesting scenario. That is an interesting scenario. So when it's a healthy economy, people are less likely to seek help. It's when they're being forced to detox because nobody has any money to get anything. Well, I might as well go get clean and get some help trying to get clean. Exactly. I mean, the well is ran dry when you burnt all the bridges, you spent that, all your money, everybody else's money. But now everybody got money coming in. Wow. Talk about the average person that you would see at the Detroit Recovery Project. Just just build an image of an individual who you see. And then I want you to tell us about the services that you provide and, and what you can do to help families that might be listening today. So let me just tell you, we started, I started this company 17 years ago, 17 years ago. The average age at that time 
was uh, 45 to 50 year olds who had at least 20 to 25 years of using drugs and alcohol. 20 or 25, wait, 20 or 25 years? Of using, yes. Huh. Yes. If you look at the average age of going into drug treatment was 45 to 50 years old. And so that meant they've been using drugs for over half of their lifetime. Wow. And that also means that during the half, during those drug using years, they missed out on opportunity to develop skills, um, vocational training, or um, obtain some formal education. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they, that means they come into they come. You know, they are at a place now that knocking on fifty years old, um, trying to figure their life out. Yeah, trying to figure out where they're gonna live, how they're gonna live because they haven't really had a lot of responsibility in terms of paying the rent, paying mortgage, car note, auto insurance, the basic bills that the average American has. Yeah, you know, Those if I can... Yeah, bills it, that have to be taught. Right, you know, if I can, I have a dear friend who had all the potential in the world when we were in college. We've since reconnected after many years after college and have become friends, said that they blacked out for 26 years using substances and said after they came out of that and went to seek help that it's like they were 21, 22 years old again. And when he got his first apartment, he was like, what do you mean? I paid a light bill. Another one's coming at the end of the month. He said he had to learn how to rewrap his mind around how to be responsible because he said, I clocked out of life at about 22, 23 years old, right after college, with a college education. That's true. I mean, because you got to. Re- so, one of the other things that often happens with people who use drugs and alcohol for long periods of time, they often experience what's known as a cold. Uh, co-occurring disorder, which means it's very you very easily can develop a mental health condition mm-hmm. while you're using drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, and when you when you're doing, it, you lose your self-esteem, you lose your self-worth, especially after being depressed for years and years, in and out of jail, um, you know, living like a transit. Um, you know, abandoning your family. In some fact, in some places, your family don't want to have nothing to do with you. So it's a lot of darkness that people are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to know that when we begin to get people who are ready to change their lives, we meet them exactly where they are. Wow. Because they come they come from a sad, depressed place already. Mm-hmm. 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 And so when you ask about the services of Detroit Recovery Project, one key service is known as recovery coaching, where we provide emotional support, companionship support, informational and instrumental support. So emotional support is just providing love, care, and concern. That approach in itself mm-hmm. versus some of these people often go to some places, social service programs, to seek help, and people talk down at them. And they often already feel stigmatized. Yeah. You know, you know, to be a alcoholic or drunk or an addict, even though those old terminologies, they're often used in our community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they just disempower people. Mm-hmm. And so part of our philosophy is to empower and uplift and bring people up and help them wherever they want help. Mm-hmm. So some people come to us and say, hey, I just need I just need somewhere to live, and I want to stay drug and alcohol free. Mm-hmm. So we would link that person up with the recovery coach 
or and or a therapist, a master level social work therapist, mm-hmm. or in some cases link that person up with a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. In some cases, people need medication mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. The, you know the paranoia, the street life has really had a significant impact on a mental health well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but the basic fundamental needs are ongoing support. You know, I always tell people, if you hang out with nine broke people, you're going to be the 10th broke person. So we want to <laughs> we yeah. want to encourage people to hang out with winners. And winners hang out with winners, and winners do what winners got to do. Yeah. And so a lot of times, people just need the right support to help keep them on the path of recovery. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you find that your um, clients as well uh, have the opportunity to successfully reconnect with family and children, children or just extended family? Um, if I had to take a guess, Frankie, I would probably say 25%. Why? Because, you know, again, in most cases, the older, the you know, 55 up and up people have um, a lot of relationships that have been diminished. And some are repairable and, and unrepairable in most cases. Yeah. But now when you ask, what does the client look like today in 2021 versus 2005 when we started? Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're seeing an influx of, of, of young whites coming into our program. Mm-hmm. That's in their early and mid-20s um, shooting heroin and taking oxycodone, mm-hmm. um, the opiate drug users. Mm-hmm. So the faces have changed in terms of addiction, and the ages have changed because yeah. we have a new growing emerging group of young addicted um, Americans. And when we talk about the opioid epidemic, um, that's because white America has been strongly impacted. Right. Right. But the, Go ahead. So, yeah, that's it, that's it. I just wanted to kind of give you a little glimpse of what it looks like. Yeah. Is that helpful at all? You are. Listen, I am enamored by this conversation. I just love the information. And because I know my audience, I know that there are people right now that are listening um, and are as captivated by the information that you're giving. And it's one thing to think something. It's different when you have a professional who is working directly in the field, giving you information you already know, you just needed to hear it, or to be able to give you a different perspective and they're not out there alone. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show to be able to have this conversation. So for all of the people who know someone, love someone, and quite frankly, it could be the person who is listening right now that says, yeah, I'm that one person that could answer one out of the five questions. As a matter of fact, I can answer five out of five. That would be me. You know what I mean? Um, So that's one of the reasons why. Uh, I wanted to get you on the show uh, so for people to hear it from someone who is right there on the ground working with people uh, in recovery. Let people know how they can reach your office uh, and get the services or the website they can go to. Sure. So Detroit Recovery website is uh, www.recovery4detroit.com. That's number. For Detroit.com. Our main office number is 313-365-3100. That's 313-365-3100. 
Awesome. Listen, uh, let me ask this final question before you go that just crossed my mind. And, and I'll let you give the website and phone numbers before we close again, just in case someone wants to get a pen or a piece of paper. Or now, as everyone does, pulls out their phone and just puts it in, in their phone. But do, right? Do, do people age out of addiction if they're fortunate enough to age out that as they get older, they tend to use less or want to finally come in for treatment. Because I heard someone say before about someone they knew, they said they just got older and just got tired of using. The person was probably in their mid-60s, had been using, like you said, probably 30 years and just couldn't get around the way they used to. Their body had just started to give out on them physically. They couldn't walk. They couldn't get around. They couldn't hustle for the money the way that they used to, right? They couldn't gain for the money the way they used to. So literally, they were almost physically and genealogically forced into rehab. You know, recovery has to be something that an individual wants. Mm -hmm. It has to be a desire. It's like, Frankie, if you see a car, you like it. You figure out how you're going to get that car. Right. Recovery is a lifestyle change, and it requires action. In fact, I tell people recovery is a verb. It takes action to get it. Mm. And, so, and, and addiction affects all ages, race, creed, religion, and color, and economic statuses. It doesn't matter. Now, you know, you may have that, like your, the person you reference may be an outlier. Mm-hmm. But there are people who find recovery that's in their late 60s and 18. Like, I was 18 when I found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you, find, you, you know, I've seen people as old as 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also seen people come to treatment at 72 and 73 years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it really doesn't discriminate about their age. Wow. Wow. Your information, to be specific to your question, was it helpful? Absolutely. And I thank you for sharing all of your experience and wisdom uh, with us today. Andre Johnson, President and Chief Executive Officer of Detroit Recovery Project. Andre, one more time, the website and the phone number. Sure. www.recovery4detroit.com www.recovery4detroit.com The phone number is 313-365-3100 313-365-3100 And again, I thank you a thousand times, Frankie, for allowing me to be on your show. If any, if you know somebody who needs help or direction with, or who's suffering from drug, alcohol, or mental health illness, Feel free to call me personally anytime. All right. And listen, that's male, female, black, white, doesn't matter. Yes, yes, yes. We don't discriminate. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you. Thank Thank you you for sharing your information with us today. I do so appreciate you. Okay. Thanks a lot. The thoughts and opinions heard today on this edition of Sunday Morning Talk of the Town is not that of the staff, management, or iHeartRadio. I'm Frankie Darcel. Thanks a lot for listening to Sunday Morning Talk of the Town. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.